This is Steve with Life Worth Living. You know, to be a contagious Christian, you have to know how God saves people. If God is in the rescuing business, so are we. So we need to understand how he operates. Here's some insights that I'm learning as to how God saves. First of all, Jesus has already achieved all the performance requirements for you. You don't have to prove anything to God. You can't save yourself. And with what Jesus has already done for you, you don't need to save yourself. Number two, your salvation is ongoing. It will never stop throughout your lifetime. You, in fact, are being saved every day of your life. Number three, you can't produce your own righteousness and goodness. It's impossible. Only the righteousness that Jesus has will save you. Here's number four. If you're in trouble, call out to Jesus and he'll save you anywhere, anytime, under any circumstance. So listen in and get a better idea of how God saves people. Okay, uh, we're going on to part two of how God saves people with this overarching theme of being a contagious Christian. Um, how many of you were contagious Christians this week? <laughs> All right, be a contagious Christian. Let the excitement of Jesus come from within you out of you so that we can reach the lost. We can, we can show people who Jesus is and give, him the, give them the same hope that we have. But let's start again, continue on with how God saves people. See, in order to be a contagious Christian, you got to realize how God operates. How does God save people? How does he go about doing it? Then you can be a co-laborer with him as he guides you and leads you. As he guides you and leads you. To me, half the battle is just getting behind Jesus. Instead of being out in front is wait and let Jesus get out in front of you. And then success in life starts flowing very naturally and easily. But we've been in Romans 10. And uh, we were reading, I think we got through four verses last Sunday. Isn't that a shame? That's how slow we go. But we'll make up some, some, uh, some, some of this lost time here. Not that it was lost, but a little bit more, uh, get a little deeper into Romans 10 today. I'm going to read the four, first four verses uh, in Romans 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Remember, we're asking the question, how does God save? For I can testify about them. They are zealous. In other words, they're passionate for God. But their zeal, their passion, is not based on knowledge. And we learned last week, what you know can save you, just as what you don't know can keep you blind and lost. And my text was misspelled this week. It said bind and lost. It should have been blind and lost. But anyways, uh, we're going to get those types of things corrected. Verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Huh, that tells us that there's two types of righteousness out, of, out there. One can save us, one will not save us. And as we read last Sunday, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Culmination, remember that word, culmination? Jesus is the culmination of your performance requirements. Jesus is the culmination of your performance requirements. As 
Christians, we, we try to perform for God. Do you ever try to do that? You try to perform for God. You try to show God, I'm going to think the right thoughts. I'm going to say the right words. I'm going to do the right actions. And we try to perform for God. Let me tell you what, Jesus already performed for you. He already satisfied your performance requirements. And he, Jesus, is the culmination of that. Let me, let me give you an example, a marathon runner. Have you ever driven behind a car and it says, I think, 26.1? I think that, is that the number? I think 26.1. Uh, what that tells you, when you see a, a sticker on the back of a car, that probably means that person's a marathon run, runner and they've run those, those 26 miles. Um, sometimes you'll see 13 point something. But anyways, a marathon runner, they practice. They get into shape. And they're the, the culmination, the pinnacle of what they do is when they cross that marathon finish line. That, that's the culmination, all right? Jesus is the culmination of your performance requirements. What Jesus did, he did all the practicing for you. He did all the sacrifice for you. He picked you up. He ran the 26 miles, and he crossed the finish line for you and with you. He's the culmination of the requirements of the law in your life, of God's law, of God's righteousness. Jesus' performance, his accomplishment means that you never have to prove yourself to God again. Jesus already proved himself for you on your behalf. How does God save people? you got to get that straight in your mind because that's how God saves people. He paid the price for you. He reached the requirements on your behalf. That's why in Romans 16.20, I love how this, this, this uh, scripture fits into what we're talking about. Romans 16.20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of all peace, it doesn't say the God of all peace will crush Satan under his own feet. No, he's the culmination of all the requirements. He's going to crush Satan under your feet. You win with God. That's how God saves people, is you jointly win with God because he's met all the requirements for you. All right, here's the, here's the next thing I'd like to point out about how God saves people as it relates to Jesus and hit the culmination of all these requirements. And it is this, that Jesus' salvation is progressive. It never stops. It keeps going day in and day out. And that's why God tells you to persevere is because he's persevering for you. If Jesus perseveres, you need to persevere with him. Your salvation is progressive. What does that mean? Well, you get saved, as we say it. We put it, you get saved. It's not really that way. God saves you, all right? And then it's a progressive journey. Day after day, God saves you a little bit more. He saves you from sickness. Then he saves you from financial harm. Then he saves your marriage. Then he saves you from sin and lust and stuff that you can't get rid of maybe yourself. And then he saves you in your job. And he saves you. Your salvation is progressive. It never stops. So don't say, I'm saved. No, I am being saved. I am being saved little by little, more and more. Stop and think. This is one of our questions this week that you'll get a text on. Think about the journey of salvation you've been on thus far. 
What does it look like? What has God progressively saved you from, rescued you from, delivered you from? I could think of probably hundreds of things that God has saved me from. Here's the crazy thing. God's even saving you before you acknowledge him. How many times did he rescue you when you weren't even paying attention or cared about God? The salvation progress thing is really actually a lifetime. Even before you ever come to know Jesus, he's saving you. Isn't that wonderful? And look at around at the, the people's lives that you care about. Hasn't God been saving them all along as well? Salvation is part. How does God save? He saves progressively, step by step. He's a patient Savior. He's a patient Savior. But to give you a picture of this, let's look at Hebrews 9. And we're going to start in verse 14. And, and go through and see how God's salvation is progressive, how it keeps moving, how it keeps churning, how it gets, keeps getting us there. Starting in Hebrews 9.14, it says, How much more then will the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. So let's take it this way. Here's the starting point. I want my mind cleansed from, from my, my mind, my conscience. I want it cleansed from acts that leads to death. Have you ever watched a movie, heard a story, or watched something on the news that just messed your mind up? <laughs> or maybe something was done to you, a horrible act, or you went through something, it messed your mind up? The starting point of salvation is when your mind is cleansed from all of that garbage that you saw, that you heard, that you experienced, all the way to the fulfillment of salvation when you start serving the Lord. When you start serving the Lord. So in this verse right here, it gives the beginning point and somewhat the culmination or the ending point when you and I are serving the Lord with all of our hearts. See, Jesus doesn't just save you so you can just chill and not do anything. He wants you to contribute. He wants you to contribute to your world, and he wants you to contribute to the kingdom of heaven. So you kind of get the, the picture of the beginning and end. Verse 15, again, back in Hebrews 9. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom. Well, what, what picture does a ransom elicit in your minds? Well, it, kidnapping, all right? The world and evil and sin kidnapped you and kidnapped me. And we're held hostage. We can't help ourselves. Have you heard that term, God helps those who help themselves? Don't ever think that's in the Bible because it's not. God helps those who can't help themselves. That's what God does. God helps those who cannot help themselves. And he, the way he did it, he paid the ransom for their kidnap. He came in and said, I pay the price. Now set that person free. Set that person free. Amen? That's how God saves. He paid the ransom through the blood of, his, of, of Jesus. He set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Now, I'm not going to get too much into this. But here's one thing. If I'm under the law of God, the law, the law of Moses, the Old Testament, do's and don'ts, and I sin under that law, I'm not going to be set free. 
I'm just, I just acknowledge, I just messed up. And worse still is that law, in some respect, is going to keep me under, <laughs> under the control of that sin. You can, you can sin under the old covenant, or you can get over here and sin under grace. I'll tell you what, I want to sin under grace. And, and I liken it to this, and this is a sad, a sad thing for some of us, but orphans who live in a foster environment, they might have a harsh foster parent. And if they mess up under the foster parent, can you imagine the difference of, of messing up under a foster parent as a young child or messing up under a loving parent? Which one would you rather do? I'd rather mess up under a loving parent. That's the difference between sinning under the old covenant and sinning under grace, the love of God, where God says, you know what? My son Jesus already covered this sin. Get back up. Let's keep on going. It's okay because Jesus paid the price for what you just did. That's how God saves. Let's get people out from under the old covenant and under grace because they are going to be set free, as I'll show you here even more in just a minute. All right, so uh, where were we? We were in verse 15. Here's, here's, a, here's a verse that, that expresses it perfectly. Romans 6.14, it says, For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, you are under grace. Do you get that? If you ever, check this out, if you ever have a sin in your life, which we all do, that we can't get rid of, think of, don't tell me what it is. Can you think of a, a sin that you're having a tough time kicking? Some a wrongdoing that you're having a tough time kicking? We've all either been there or are there now. If you will say, you know what, I'm going to get out from under the law and I'm going to start being under God's grace, God is going to set you free from that sin. That's how God saves people is when you get out from under condemnation and under God's love, the sin is, is broken in your life. So you don't have to have sin as your master any longer if you're under grace. Let's read on, though. And now I'm skipping in Hebrews 9 to verse 26. It says, but he has appeared. This is Jesus. He has appeared once for all. Remember last week when we were saying, look at Jesus. And then we sang some songs today. Uh, look at Jesus. If you will look at Jesus, he will save you. You will be saved if you will look at Jesus. He appeared so that you can see him once for all at the culmination of all things. There's that word again. Isn't that interesting? The culmination of the ages to do away with sin. To do away with sin. Jesus appeared to get rid of sin. Can you imagine if there was no sin in this world? Can you imagine if there was no sin in your life? That's why Jesus appeared, was to do away with sin. By the sacrifice of himself, verse 27, just as people who are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. That's how Jesus saves. He takes, wouldn't you love it if God would just reach into your life and pull out that bad attitude that you have? Wouldn't you love it if Jesus just reached into your life and pulled out that bad behavior that you have? That's what Jesus does. He takes away your sin. He takes it out of you. And I've pictured it this way many times in my own life. I have these rocks. They represent 
heavy sin that I just need to get rid of. And I, I can't do it myself. I've tried. I have these New Year's resolutions. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be accountable to somebody. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know what? I can't do it. But Jesus takes away the sin. He reaches in, digs up that dirt, the hard places, pulls that rock out, and pulls it right out of your life. He takes away the sin. How does Jesus save? I'm, I'm telling you right now, progressively, he's pulling one rock out at a time. He's pulled a hundred out of my life, and I probably have a hundred to go. All right? He progressively saves us. Um, sacrifice wants to take away the sins of many. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Again, I'm being saved until the day that Jesus appears. I'm being saved until he appears and my salvation is final, it's complete, it's done. And I'm, man, I'm with him. Hebrews 10.2. So let's go to the next chapter. Go to verse 2. Hebrews 10.2. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? Speaking of these sacrifices that were being offered over and over and over again. Uh, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt, uh, felt guilty for their sins. Now, I'm not going to go into the entire meaning of this verse. That would be, shoot, we could talk hours about that. But the one thing I want to point out here is when you and I sin, we feel guilty, right? We feel ashamed. We feel bad about ourselves. We, we get mad. Have you ever gotten mad at yourself? I get mad at myself. Why can't I stop doing this? Well, I told you last week about this, this man named Charles Finney. I didn't do him justice. He was a mighty evangelist in the 1800s. My dad reminded me of him. And um, Charles Finney, when he gave his heart to the Lord, he noticed that he instantaneously didn't feel bad about himself anymore. He instantaneously didn't feel guilt. He didn't feel shame. And it was weird to him because he'd lived under this so long. He'd been under the law for so long that he, he tried to make himself feel guilty about himself and feel bad for all the things that he'd done, but he couldn't. Well, what had happened is Jesus had removed that sin and he had removed the guilt associated with that sin. And I've, I've just enjoyed this so much myself this week, just thinking, I don't feel guilty anymore for the past wrongs that I've done, for the mistakes that I made. I just don't feel bad anymore. That's what Jesus does is he takes your guilt away along with the sin. He takes it, he wipes you clean, completely makes you clean. And we'll see more about that in just a second. I, wanna, I don't want to jump ahead of myself. So now I jump on to Hebrews 10, verse 14, if you're following along. Verse 14 of Hebrews 10. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You say, why does Jesus accept me? <laughs> why, why does God accept me? He accepts me because he sees me through his son, Jesus. He sees me as I will be, not as I am today. And that's, that is just mind-boggling. I can't comprehend that. He sees me as I will be. And the fact is, is through the blood of Jesus, I'm already made completely perfect. Completely perfect. I am in God's sight the way that I will be someday. <laughs> but then it goes on, it says, those who are being made holy. Remember that progressives, those stages? 
God's taken me from one level of unholiness to a level of finally feeling some level of separateness from this world, a change. Let me tell you what, we as Christians, the last thing we should do is try to be like someone in order to win them to Christ. Don't be that way. No, no, no. What attracts people of this world to Jesus is you being different from them, not being similar to them. All right. I'll never forget. I think it was my mother-in-law. Uh, I wish I could remember how the story goes, Tina. But uh, th- there was a somebody, a Christian, <laughs> at, at at a um, at a checkout place at a grocery store, and the the checkout person looked, I believe, at a child, and and saw the purity in that child's face, and and began a conversation about this. And, and she, the, the checkout person was wishing they could be a child again, to be, have that innocence, to be, have that purity once again. And you know what? That's what Jesus does. He makes us different. He's, he's making us holier and holier, purer and purer, cleaner and cleaner. That's where we want to be. Now, the, the, unfortunately, holiness has been misinterpreted. And you hear that term, holier than thou. I don't want to be holier than thou. Well, I don't either. I don't want to be holier than anything i just want to be closer and closer cleaner and cleaner with god pure and pure not so that i can feel better and superior over someone else but just so i can be closer to god because the bible says without holiness no man can see god so i want holiness so that i can see god and and holiness is just separateness set apart for god's purposes so Again, talking about progressive salvation. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make of them. Remember that old covenant that I was telling you? Now there's a new covenant, a new covenant of grace that's spoken of here. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them in their minds. And he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Man, progressive salvation, getting closer and closer to God. Getting to the place where God actually makes you want to do the things that are right and not want to do the things that are wrong. And that's what I found in my life. Little by little, he's changing my heart. The things that I used to want to do, I don't even want to do them anymore. The things that I used to want to want to do, now I actually want to do them. And I see the value in them. And I see the the blessing in them. That's what he does. Under grace, he changes your life. Little by little. It's not all in a day. It's progressive. Have you noticed that in yourself? That God changes you one step at a time, one degree at a time. And here we see it again. But I love this phrase. He will remember your sins no more in verse 18 it says he forgives your sins and sacrifice on your parts no longer required you don't need to feel like you have to beat yourself up be harsh on yourself you know do something harmful to yourself no jesus paid the price the sacrifice has already been paid and jesus says i'm not going to remember your sins anymore and i'm going to forgive your sins and that progressive Progressive salvation that we've been talking about is learning to forgive yourself. Because Jesus has already forgiven you. Now you need to learn to forgive yourself. And as you go along and you're getting closer and closer to God, you're being saved more and more, you also learn not only to forgive yourself, but you also learn 
to, um, to forget what was done to you, to forget what you did to others, to forget your, your shortcomings. You can actually forget all of that stuff because God has forgot, forgotten it. Isn't that powerful? I want to get to the place where I don't even remember the mess that I used to do, the things that I used to think, the things that I used to say, how vicious I was with people. I was, I was, a, I was a mean, mean kid. My parents don't believe it. They don't know it. I was mean. You know what? I've almost forgotten how I used to be. And I'm thankful because I didn't like the way that I used to be. God changed my heart. He changed my heart. So let's, let's just read on here in verse 19. We're almost done with this Hebrew section here. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have this confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. God wants you to be a confident Christian. He wants you to be God-confident, not self-confident. God-confident, not self-confident. I, I was about to tell the story I've told before. I'm not going to do it. But the closer I get to God, the more confident I am in God. And therefore, the more confident I just am. You know what? I'm not going to be shaken by what people think about me or if people don't like what I do or whatever, unless, of course, I'm going down the wrong path. I'm confident in my Lord. I'm following him and I'm doing what he tells me to do. I don't have to worry about what people think anymore. And that's a very freeing thing because I'm just doing what God tells me to do. And as long as I do that, I'm in, I'm in good shape. So I'm going to grow as I progressively get saved. I'm going to grow in more and more confidence. I love this word, sincere heart. You know what? As I get closer to God, I've already mentioned this, I am who I am. You know, I'm comfortable with being bald. I'm comfortable with having gray hair. I'm comfortable with, you know, I am, I am just, I am who I am. <laughs> Take it or leave it, you know. And that's a good place to be, a sincere heart, authentic, sincere, you know, just the person who I am. And that's what we try to teach our kids and, and the youth and other. Be who you are. Now, if, if you're a bad person, don't be that person. But as you grow closer to God, be the person God created you. Stop comparing yourself to other people and be glad with who you are. You'll be a lot happier, a lot more comfortable. That's, that's the path of salvation is just being who God created you to be. It, it goes on here in verse 22, having our hearts sprinkled, cleansing us from a guilty conscience. We've already talked about, uh, talked about that. Let us hold unswervingly to ho the hope that we profess. Uh, as, as you get closer to God in salvation, you get more and more hopeful. I look at this country, yes, it's, getting, it's going down the toilet, but you know what, I'm praying, and God is going to turn this country around. I have, hope for, uh, I have hope for God in this country. I don't have hope in this country. I have hope of God or for God in this country. I don't have hope in our political system. I don't even have a hope in our Constitution. I have hope in God for our country. I'm hopeful, and as I get closer and closer to God, the more hopeful I get. You know what another? You know what? You you know what hope translates into is optimism. I'm just optimistic that God is. I've been accused at work of being too optimistic. Isn't that awful? I, I tell you what, if you're going to accuse me something, accuse me of being hopeful. 
And, and I'll, I'll go with that. I'm happy to be accused of being hopeful. God is going to do powerful things in this country. He's going to do powerful things. Don't be looking for it to go back to the way that it was. We don't want it the way that it was. The way that it was got us to where we're at today. <laughs> so we're looking for a new America, a refreshed America, an unawakened America, a revived America. So instead of looking back and trying to get back there, let's go to where God wants to take us, a new place, a higher place that he's looking to take us. But then lastly here it says, you know, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting of ourselves together. You know what a mature Christian does? Consistently tries to help other people and consistently meets as we are right here. You just meet together because you realize finally, this is how I get stronger is when I meet with other godly people. I go all week long with people that may not be godly at work, wherever. But you know what? I'm coming to church three times a week and I'm going to get stronger for it. Every time. Not as a religious activity, not so that you can feel good. You go to church to receive 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 receives to be strengthened and to spur one another on uh for, you know towards good works to encourage each other even as we see the day approaching what's the day the day that jesus comes back approaching so salvation is progressive it moves it continues on now if we go back to verse 4 of romans 10 where we were kind of at we haven't even moved an inch in romans 10 i apologize for that we're going to get some movement right now but it does say in romans 10 verse 4 that christ is the culmination of what the law the law in order for you to be saved by jesus for J jesus to save you you got to come to grips with a couple of things and they are these god has a law of perfection God has a law, and God never dumbs down to your level or to my level. He's not going to do it. His law is right here. And if I read in Romans uh, 3.23, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm way down here. So I come to grips with the fact his law is up here. He has, a right, he has righteousness. I don't. And... Um, I haven't, I'm never going to be able to meet the requirements of that law. I've got to come to grips with that. As Jesus extends his hand of salvation towards me, in order for me to reach my hand up and grip his hand that's gripping mine, I have to come to, to the conclusion of those three things. His law is perfect. His righteousness is higher than mine. And I fall short of it. That's the only way I can reach it. If I say, no, I'm a good person, you know what I'm doing? I'm keeping my hand down and I'm not reaching out for his saving grip. I'm saying, no, I've got this figured out. You're not better than I am. I'm a good person. That's saying, I'm not going to accept your salvation. In order to receive his salvation, I've got to do those three things that I've just mentioned. So in Romans 8, uh, 3.23, all have sinned. Romans 3.20, it says, therefore... No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. So you can say, you know what, I'm a law-abiding citizen. Therefore, I'm a good person. In, in the spiritual realm, that is not true at all. You could be a law-abiding citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That does not make you a righteous person. It does not make you a righteous person. It, it goes on in Romans 3.20. It says, but rather the law... 
by the law, we become conscious of our sin. See, the law, the Bible, is informative. It's informative. It tells you what is good for you and what is bad for you. Well, why, why is it bad for me to be able to sleep around with everybody I see in sight? Well, because you're going to get sick. <laughs> it's bad for you physically. It's bad for you emotionally. And God knew that, and so he said, no, no, no. I want you to reserve sex. I want you to reserve that for marriage between a man and a woman. And I want you to stay married the rest of your life to that person. Unless, of course, there's massive abuse, then we walk away from, from that marriage covenant because we don't want that happening. But you know what? You, you commit to a person, that's when you can have that, that, that relationship with that person. God knew that was good for us, and that's why he instituted the law. He didn't say, I'm going to institute this law, and then you can be considered a good person in my sight. No, he said, this is good for you. I'm going to inform you of this so that it keeps you out of trouble. Don't kill people because you're not supposed to take people's life. It'll mar your conscience the rest of your life if you kill someone. Therefore, don't kill people. <laughs> God knows what's best. That's why he gave us the law. The law was never intended to make you a good person. Only God can make you a good person. So if the law doesn't produce righteousness, where does righteousness come from? Well, it's just like gold or silver, some other precious metal. You can't go manufacture gold. Did you know that? Some people have tried, and they call it, what, fool's gold, right? Or a, a diamond. People try to manufacture fake diamonds or fake pearls, and they have names for those. You can only get precious metals by going and mining and digging them. There's actually a limit to gold in this world. There's actually only a, a limit. And, and once the gold runs out, the gold runs out, just like oil runs out. You can't make this stuff. You can't produce it. You've got to go get it. Righteousness is the same way. It's a precious thing, and you can only get it from God. You can't produce it in yourself, just like you can't make gold and you can't make silver. You've got to go to the source and get it. Righteousness comes only from God, and you've got to go get it from God. And he gives it freely to those who believe, to those who ask for it. So stop trying to produce your own spiritual righteousness by doing good things and avoiding bad things. That's never going to get you there. You've got to get your righteousness from God. And fortunately, it's not a limited commodity. There's all the righteousness can be given to all the people if we'll just go to God, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And you'll receive it. He'll give it to you. So finally, we're making some progress here. Verse 5, don't worry, we don't have too much, too much more to go. Verse 5 of Romans 10, Moses writes about this righteousness, that if somebody does try to do this by the law, that person who does these things will have to live by them. It's a vicious, vicious circle to try to make yourself a righteous person, to do all the right things, to avoid all the wrong things. You're going to go crazy doing that because you can't do it. You can't do it. It requires God's help. But in verse 6 of Romans 10, it says, The righteousness that is by faith, this righteousness that comes from God, says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. This righteousness says, I can't go up and minimize Jesus or minimize God. This, this righteousness says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's 
king. He's higher than I am. And, and neither am I going to go down and find Jesus in the grave. Why? Because Jesus has risen. Jesus is alive. I'm not going to go down and find Jesus down there. No, Jesus has risen. He's alive and he's in heaven. See, the person who's constantly focusing on the death of Jesus and they have crucifixes all over there with Jesus hanging on the cross, they don't know who Jesus is. Jesus is alive. He's not on the cross. He's not in the grave. And the person who lives constantly in the death of Jesus is going to live a defeated life because Jesus is alive. If you live in his death, you're going to live in defeat. But if you begin to live in Jesus' life, you're going to live in victory because you're going to be talking to the risen Savior, to the living Savior. You're going to believe that he is alive. He's available to you. He's available to help you. He is available to save you. Big, big difference, this righteousness that we're talking about. Amen. But in verse 8 of, of uh, Romans 10, it says, but what does it say? What does what say? Well, it says, what does this righteousness that's by faith say? What does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim, that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he's alive you will be saved. How does God save people? Through the declaration of faith in God. When was the last time that you declared Jesus is Lord out loud? When was the last time that you did? I hope this week, if you haven't done it lately, I hope this week you get by yourself and you're in your bathroom, your living room, your kitchen, wherever, you say out loud, Jesus is Lord. Because the Bible says when you say that, certainly you believe it, you will be saved. You will be progressively, increasingly saved. Amen. Declare Jesus is Lord. Declare Jesus is alive. Jesus cares for me. Jesus listens to me. Jesus helps me. Why? Because he's alive. You declare those things, you will be progressively, increasingly saved. And then if you go and tell that to someone else, the salvation flows even more. That's what the Bible says. I, I think we need to take the Bible very literally. It is what it is, it says what it is, and it does what it says it does. We believe it. Amen? What if this country had never declared independence? We'd still be dependent. But we declared independence, and therefore we were independent. Yes, we had to fight for it, but it first took a declaration. We need to begin to declare our freedom from sin, our freedom from mental bondage and captivity and worries. Did you know God doesn't want you to be an anxious person? Begin to declare your independence from worry. Say, I'm saved from worry. I don't have to worry anymore. Declare it. This. If you don't have peace in your life, begin to declare God's peace in your life. And you will be saved from a lack of peace in your life. Declare the things of the Bible. The Bible's very clear about it. And, and of course, it, it, in the same breath, it's talking about declaration and believing. Well, you know what? What you believe, you will declare. And what you declare, you will believe. They both influence one another. So begin to declare the salvation that Jesus gives you. Almost done. 
Verse 11, Romans 10. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And that's the human being's biggest fear is shame. All biggest fear in the world is being shamed. But anyone who believes on Jesus will not be shamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. There's no difference between the Afro-American and the Caucasian American or the Hispanic American or the Asian American or any buddy of any ethnicity praise God the Bible declares this to us there is no difference the same Lord is overall and richly blesses all who call on him everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved here's the last point I want to make salvation instantly comes to those who call out to Jesus salvation instantly how does God save when you call on him that's how he saves easy peasy Man, I'll tell you what, I'm in need. I'm in need to find my keys. I call out to Jesus. I'm in need to get that dumb set of computers back there working so we can project and have sound and telephone this morning. I call in the name of Jesus. He always saves me. He does it every Sunday, even this morning. <laughs> he always saves. You need Jesus for big, medium, small things. Call on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. Literally, he will take care of whatever it is you're calling out for him to do. Just like a lifeguard, if I'm drowning in a swimming pool and there happens to be a lifeguard, if I get my voice up just above the water and I say, help! You know what? Salvation's going to come like that immediately by my lifeguard. Jesus is my lifeguard. I call out to him for every little dinky little thing that, we, that I need. And so, here's what I just want to leave you with this. If, if you're at someone's, you're, you're talking to somebody and they don't believe in Jesus, leave them with this one thought. Let's say their name is Bob, all right? Bob, okay, you don't, you're not accepting what I'm telling you right now, but let me tell you something, Bob. If you ever get to the place where you're helpless, just call on the name of Jesus, all right? And plant that seed in their mind and someday... Maybe they'll have, I'm not wishing this on anybody, they might have a car wreck. They might lose a family member. They might lose their form of income. They'll remember, oh, call on the name of Jesus and you'll be saved. Plant that everywhere you go with anyone that you're talking to. If you ever get into trouble, you may not be listening to me now, but if you ever get into trouble, call on the name of Jesus and they will remember it. And they'll do it. Most, most everybody will do it when they get into a pickle. So in summary, here we are. How does God save people from the, the chapter 10 that we read today? Jesus has performed all the requirements of the law for you to be righteous. He's already performed for you, so stop trying to perform for yourself. As you try to perform for yourself, you can't be saved because you're doing it on your own. But as you see, God performed, Jesus performed everything for me. I can be saved through him. Number two, God's grace has set you free from your old master, your old way of life. The grace of God has set you free. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Get out from under the law. Get under grace. Number three, salvation is progressive. It never stops. Number four, righteousness can't be produced. It can only be received. All right? Declare your faith in Jesus and be saved. Declare all the aspects of salvation. I declare peace. I declare uh, love. I declare forgiveness. I declare this. I declare that. 
declare everything that Jesus' salvation offers you. It's not just the salvation of your soul. It's the salvation of your day-to-day needs. And lastly, call out to God when you're in trouble and you will be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this word today. Lord, I can't take an ounce of credit. Lord, these are just my devotional notes. These are just the things that you show me for me. Lord, and, and I try to put them into practice, and I try to, to, to see, test them, and experiment with your word, Lord God, and see how it works. And Lord, these things are coming through for me. They've helped me, and I, and I recognize that they've actually helped me for years. Now I just start to understand how they work. I begin to understand how God saves people, because I see how you've saved me how you've saved me, oh God. And so, Lord, right now, I pray for all of those who hear my voice, whether here present or on the line or maybe a future recording. God, they hear my voice and they're saying, I want God's salvation. Lord, I pray for all of us who are looking for God's salvation through His Son, Jesus. Lord, help us just to call out to you and say, Jesus, save me, please save me from this trouble that I'm in. Save my soul, Lord. Save me from anguish. Save me from depression. Save me from the poor house, Lord. Save me, Lord. Save my marriage, oh God. Save my relationship with my kids and my grandkids, Lord. Save me, Lord Jesus. Lord, and you will. You will. That's how you save people, Lord. Help us, help us to come to the awful conclusion, Lord, that you are perfect and we've fallen short of your perfection and therefore we need a savior. We need someone to fill the void between where I'm at at such a low level and where you're at at such a high level. Thank you, Jesus, Lord, that your word says, I think it's in Isaiah 57, Lord, that yes, you live in high and lofty places, but you also live with a broken hearted. Lord, you live high, but you also live low. God, where I'm at, where I need you to be, thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, O Lord God. Amen.